what does it mean to be in God's presence? What does it mean uh, for us to encounter God today with our, not just our mind, but with our, our body, our soul, our emotion, our will? What does it look like to worship him as we ought to with everything that we are? What does it mean for us to be in the presence of God today? What does that look like? Um, how do we meet with him? Um, some of you might not know what I'm talking about, and that's okay. That's one of the reasons we kind of teach into it a little bit. Some of you would be like, oh, brilliant, this sounds great. Um, but we don't presume upon God. That's one thing I just want to say at the start. We don't presume and, and say, well, God said this, so we'll claim this and we'll claim that. We're not into that kind of stuff if you've heard of that kind of thing. But rather, we know God is gracious, God is good, God is kind, and so we'll plead with him that he might reveal himself to us. We serve a, a holy God, someone who we should be in awe of, someone who we should have a reverence for, someone who we should be in wonder of. And I just want to say at the start of the year, when we're all thinking, oh, this will be great, and Redeemer King this, and Redeemer King this, I would, I would love for 2016 to be not how awesome I am or how awesome church is, but rather how awesome Jesus is. That if that's what we could be about as a church, if, that's, if that could be our heartbeat, really, that would be amazing. And as we begin a new year, I personally, and I hope you do too, want 2016 to be a year where you encounter Jesus in a way that you haven't done previously. That you would go deeper with him, that you would know him more, that you would love him more, that you would be a, a disciple that leads others to Christ as well. And what if our New Year's resolution wasn't about signing up to the gym, wasn't about joining Slimming World, but our New Year's resolution was to be in the presence of God? What if our year was about drawing closer to him instead of self-improvement? What if our year was about bringing him glory, bringing him fame, telling other people about Jesus? And what, what difference would that make in our workplaces and in our, in our communities? And what can we do as a church over 2016 as well? Um, almost what it looks like as a church as we gather, the things that we do, whether they're cool or they're not cool, is irrelevant. What I would love for us over 2016 and beyond is just to make a lot of noise for Jesus. Now, whatever else is attached to that, that actually that would be the driving force, that it would be all about him or for him. And that could be our year. What if we dedicated our year, instead of to shedding a few pounds, to pursuing him, to knowing him, to encountering him? Perhaps some of us at the start of a new year need to come back to that place with God. We need to come back to spending time with again that we, over the Christmas holidays with everything going on, we might got a little bit sloppy with that or we just need to start the new year as we mean to go on, to be in his presence. Some of us might need convincing of wanting to encounter God in that way. And some of us might want to learn to worship again. Over Christmas, I don't know if you caught this, there was a campaign going on on Twitter and all over the place, um, which was called Be Present This Christmas. And the whole idea was put your tablet, put your phone away, and actually be present with the people that you're spending your time with. Leave your phone upstairs, switch it off, forget about the world, forget about Twitter and Instagram. I mean, if you go to restaurants today, I mean, I've been guilty of this, there's people Instagramming their food, and then they're tweeting the restaurant about it to try and get discount, and all the while they're not talking to the person that they're actually gone to a meal with. They're not present, are they? You know, I've done that. I wasn't present at the meal. I can't even remember if the meal was any good, probably not. Um, but you're not there. And so what if, instead of the habit of church, singing songs and just reading the words and singing them, but not really understanding or just reading the Bible, but not being present, what if we were present? 
What if we said, I'm going to make time for you this year, God. I'm going to keenly pursue you. I'm going to be intentional with what I do in 2016 and intentionally want to be in your presence. So we want to take kind of just these three weeks just to look at that. And then, as I said, on Wednesday night, come to the vision night. It's going to be amazing. It's a bit of a plug. But we've got kind of an announcement off the back of that to do with Encounter as well. So we've got kind of three parts to this. And the first one I wanted to look at is God with us, which I think is a good place to start a new year and finish the old year, really, is just to be reminded that God's with us, that we read it in Scripture. And it's not just something that we read, but it's something that's true and affects our hearts. That whether we're in a, a good or a bad place actually isn't the most important thing. The most important thing is knowing that God's there with you. That whatever we face in life, whatever day we have, is to know that God is there in it with us. And I, I got this book at Christmas. Um, now, don't be offended by this. You know, it's not necessarily politically correct. Um, and it's a tongue-in-cheek book. And it's called Finding Jesus. Can you show up the picture? And um, it's like, where's Wally, really? except you've got to find Jesus. Now, I appreciate it's quite difficult from afar, but I can tell you it's quite difficult close up as well. Uh, this picture here, I took a good kind of 10, 15 minutes to find Jesus. Now, my brother gave it to me. Now, I don't know if he's trying to kind of say something that I need to find Jesus, that I need to... But this book is solid. Like, where's Wally's dead easy? But this is harder, and like the colors like mess with your, your eyes a little bit. Uh, and as I said, it, it took me quite a long time to find Jesus. And some of us, when we think about encountering God, it's a little bit like this Finding Jesus book, that we, we, we think it's hard. Maybe we're looking in the wrong places, or we, we get distracted by different things. And um, I want to say from the front, that actually, God's with us. And actually, maybe if Finding Jesus has been a bit of a battle, or we're looking in the wrong places, um, that actually Jesus is really easily found. Like in that picture, he was behind the sail in the top left because it took me a good 10 minutes to find him. Near 17, he's walking on water. Fancy that. Um, but actually, the reality is that God's with us, and it's easy to find Jesus because Jesus has come looking for us. It's easy to know that God is with us because God's come for us. And um, if you've brought a Bible, it'd be really good for you to open it up. I'm just going to read some verses from John chapter 1. And they're verses that are quoted at Christmas, but I think are just... Uh, amazing verses that I think are a great way to kind of start out um, our new year. And this is John chapter 1. I'm just going to read uh, a fair bit of it. This is John uh, writing um, the story of Jesus. And his opening chapter, he's describing who Jesus is. He's, he's telling people that he is the word. The, the word there is logos. In other words, that God speaks. And that's what he's trying to say is that God speaks and he's spoken through his son who is Jesus Christ. It says, in the beginning was the word. So in brackets, I kind of in my mind always think of Jesus there. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In other words, everything is about Jesus, made through him, for him, by him. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Different John. This is John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. 
He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And we talk about Jesus' birthday, don't we, at Christmas, but John here affirms that Jesus has always been, that he's been eternal, he was there in creation, he's he's been forever, that actually, I know that we celebrate it on 25th of December, but really, he's always been there. That was his birth into humanity in one sense, but not, not his birth, because he has always been. Nothing has been created that Jesus was not involved in. He's not a created being. He's the eternal second person of the Trinity. That's what John's trying to get over in those first verses. And that's fundamentally important to everything else, isn't it? Because if Jesus isn't the Son of God, then we're all wasting our time. And we're all a bit loony. But if Jesus is the Son of God, then it changes everything. All his claims, everything that he says, the way, the truth, and the life to the Father. Eternal life is through him. He's got some staggering claims. And then John says this, some staggering words in verse 14, if you've still got your Bible open. And he's talking about, in one sense, this is how Jesus has revealed himself and how we encounter him today. Verse 14, and the word became flesh. So Jesus became flesh, became a man and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. As I said before, Finding Jesus in that Finding Jesus book is really hard. If you come around to my house, um, uh, it's going to be one of those, you know, toilet books. So if you need the loo and you're ever at my house, you can find Jesus. Um, that didn't quite come out as I thought it would. <laughs> Never mind. But he, um, what we have here is the word became flesh. And what I want you to think about the incarnation, which is kind of uh, entering a deity, taking on form, human form, is to think of not of Jesus kind of losing anything, but adding humanity to himself. That here is the eternal son of God and he adds humanity to himself and enters into time and enters into space. He became a man and dwelt amongst us. When someone moves into the neighborhood, when someone moves into the area, you get new neighbors, you know about it. Whether they're good neighbors or bad neighbors, you know about it. And the same inferences here is that actually Jesus has come into the world and we should know about it. Jesus has left heaven and he's come to earth. And the Greek rendering here of the text of Jesus coming and dwelling among us is a word called skeno, which is better translated tabernacled. Now, that's not a word that I've just plucked out of thin air. It's not a word that there is a tabernacle. Um, not a word that I've made up, but rather it's, it's quite an important Old Testament uh, image and an Old Testament thing that took place in, in the days of Moses. And don't switch off now because I'm talking about a tabernacle, but it's interesting because it says the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And you can read that if you were being a bit more accurate, your Bible would say the word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. So in order for us to understand what it means for God to be with us, we kind of got to understand what a tabernacle is and what it means for God to tabernacle amongst us. Now, this isn't boring. This isn't irrelevant, but basically I'll do it in five minutes really quick, I promise that basically Moses, he's in Egypt, he leaves Egypt, Pharaoh's not very happy, and the Israelites wander in the wilderness, don't they? There's maybe a million of them, 
and they wander in the wilderness and they end up camping at Mount Sinai and God reveals himself on the mountain. We have the Ten Commandments and a part of the instruction that God gives to his people is, I want you to build one of these, a tabernacle. And you can read about it in Exodus. It's basically this, what you can see here, this is movable. Um, I mean, not on sticks, you know, you've got to however they did it. But, you know, it's a bit of an effort, but there's lots of guys, lots of handy guys who built it. Very gifted, full of the spirit people who made that. And uh, what they would do is it would be a movable tent or dwelling. Uh, And this is what it said about it in Exodus. It said about that thing that you can see on the screen. Let them make a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. And then in 2945, I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. This was about, this building that you can see is about God being present with his people. Because God is holy, because God is set apart, because God is pure, he can't just dwell with people like me who are messed up the other end of the spectrum entirely there has to be some sort of structure and so there was the tabernacle a place where actually uh, God could dwell amongst the people and there would be components and structures as you can see there's kind of a, a structure that looks like it's out of Star Wars a little bit and um, there's some cows there and a tree for decorative purposes um, an an altar outside. So there's a courtyard area and then inside, there was one with an inside bit that you could see but I didn't think it was necessary. Um, But there was structure in order to help the people relate to God. It was all an image of, well, if God dwells amongst us, what does that look like? How does God dwell amongst his people? And, And they all formed a visual aid about what it meant to be in relationship with him. And it consisted of three parts. You've got the courtyard area, which you can see outside. And then inside, there was two areas. There's the holy place, and then there's the holy of holies. So it's like the holy place compared to the holy of holies isn't as holy. Um, And it's kind of separated. And in the holy place, there's a lamp, um, a lampstand with seven oil lamps. And that burns day and night. And that symbolized to the people that God was present with them, that God loved them, that God protected them. There's uh, a table with some loaves of bread on it. It was all a bit more exciting than I'm painting it to be. Um, reminding them that God provides for them, that he, he provides everything that they would need. And then there would be an altar of incense, which was symbolized the prayers of the people rising to God. Now, that would be in the kind of outer section of the tent. And then there would be a separated thick curtain, a massive thick curtain, which would separate the Holy of Holies from the holy place. And in the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. Think Indiana Jones, but without the kind of Nazis and the other scary things. The Ark of the Covenant would be there. And in the Ark of the Covenant would be the Ten Commandments, would be some manna, would be Aaron's staff. And it would be like, this is the Holy of Holies. This is the place where God dwells. There's the mercy seat and God comes down. And that's where he is present. And there's this massive curtain, this thick curtain that separates that from the other place. I was just to say, well, I'm here, I'm dwelling, but I'm set apart. And if you remember in the New Testament, there's this amazing scene when Jesus dies, isn't there? Jesus dies, and there's a, there's a, in the temple, there is a thick curtain. And this thick curtain is torn in two. In other words, what it says is that that gap between God and man is now ultimately doesn't exist anymore. But at this time, there was, and there was a thick curtain. And... Um, when it was completed, when they finished making this and built it, the, there was a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day that led the people. And it settled upon the tabernacle. And when it lifted, 
and, and started to make movements, they knew now was the time that we were to move on. Now was the time we were to follow God and follow after him to the next place until it stopped moving. And, uh, and then you've got the courtyard where you can see the cows and you can see the sheep and you can see the bloke there as well. And the question for the people was, how could they be in the presence of God? How, how would it be possible? You know, God's in that little tent and he's kind of dwelling among them, but it doesn't really work because he's still set apart. How would it be possible? And the only way was for sinful people would be for there to be a sacrifice for them on their behalf, that they might enter in, that they might know the presence of God. And the way that they did it in the Old Testament was it was a life for a life. So an innocent, pure animal, not the runt of the litter, but a pure animal of value would uh, be laid down, would be sacrificed on the altar to atone for their sin, for their wrongdoing. And it would mean they would be right with God. It would mean that they could dwell with God, that God would be in their presence, that they would meet with him. And so the priests would make a sacrifice. So because God loved the people, he made a way of them being able to dwell with him. That carried on for a few hundred years. They replaced it with a temple. And that's the tabernacle. So you're kind of thinking, well, great. It seems a bit quite complex. But John, John says, literally, Jesus came and tabernacled. That Jesus did this when he came to earth. And you're like, well, I don't remember Jesus kind of walking around with a curtain in front of him. And with lots of these procedures going on. Well, it gets better because Jesus is like, you know, the tabernacle's defunct now. And actually, that, that is found within him. All those symbols, all the things that this represents are found in Jesus. So the fact that there was bread on the table in the holy place, that was a sign that God was providing for his people. Now Jesus here is the provision of God for his people. Same with the incense, which is representing the prayers of the people. Now Jesus is the one we go to when we pray. The sacrifice. No longer do we have to lay down animals as a life for a life. Jesus himself steps into the breach and is the perfect sacrifice. Lays down his own life that we might enter into the presence of God. He is literally the tabernacle. He tabernacled amongst his people. As Jesus dies upon a cross, as he lays down his life, forever the relationship between us and God is changed. And we get a new start, and the animals also are okay. Eternally, God can be found, that whoever would believe in him would have everlasting life, and therefore, as a result, can enter into the presence of God. So often we stop short. So often we say, yes, Jesus died for me. He's been raised to new life, so I get a new life. And we don't really step into the fullness of what that means. To say, actually, I can step and enter into the presence of God now. The thing that blocked me being in the presence of God and knowing and encountering Jesus in a tangible way, encountering God in a tangible way, all those blocks and obstacles are gone. We can enter into his presence. You know, all this complexity is done away with. Instead, we have Jesus. We don't have to worry about the tabernacle anymore and the places of worship. The point and focus of our worship is Jesus. God isn't with us in that building anymore. He's with us in the person of Jesus, which means he can be here in Newbold in 2016, which means he can be in your kitchen when you're doing your Sunday lunch, 
which means he can be with you when you're in a dark alley for whatever reason. God with us. We've seen his glory. The glory is the one and only from the Father, full of grace and truth. God chose in Jesus to dwell amongst us. He takes that step towards us when we are stepping the other way. Now, I don't know how your end of 2015 was and your start of 2016 is feeling, whether you feel like you're walking towards God or walking away from him, but I can tell you this, God's walked towards you already in the person of Jesus because he wants to be with you. He wants to manifest himself to you. And that pillar of cloud and fire and the glory of the Lord is all encapsulated into his presence in spending time with him. And, you know, when there's God's glory, when there's his presence, amazing things happen. It changes the atmosphere. It means that people that are blind now see. It means people that are held in captivity are now set free. It means that people that are depressed have depression lifted from them. Because they're in the presence of God. Because they're spending time with him. And I really think, you know, if uh, when John says here that the word became flesh and tabernacle dwelt amongst us, that God's presence is there for us, we've just got a hunger and desire for it. So often, I think, a little bit like the finding Jesus thing, we, we know Jesus is in the picture, but he's just one small part of it. And we're over here at the barbecue at the front or we're in the shower and we're looking in the wrong places. But if we would in 2016 just desire him more, be hungry for the things of God, intentionally say, God, I want to be in your presence, we will see some defining things in 2016. just want to close with verses 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, to all who received Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God who were not born of blood or the will of flesh or the will of man, but of God. You know, if we believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, if we trust in him for everlasting life, it is more than just a head thing. It should affect our hearts. It should affect our emotions. That's why it's okay to cry. That's why it's okay to laugh. It's okay to be full of joy because it should affect our entire being. When we encounter God, when we step into his presence, when we spend time with him, it should change our life. We should be different. Thank you for the amen. We should be different. We should be transformed. Christianity is not just an intellectual exercise. For some of, it, for some of us, that's our only experience. 2016, I want you to experience him with your will, with your emotion, with your heart, with your physical being. That you would feel, in one sense, tangibly, what it means to be in the presence of God. Not just something here, something we read and say, okay, I believe that. But what does it mean practically? How does that make a difference to our life? It's not going to church. It's not being brought up in church. It's not having the right answers or whatever our background might be. The reason we can have that, the reason we can be in his presence is all because of God. And that's why this year, it's not the hype or it's not trying to, you know, cause a stir and create an atmosphere. Because it's all about God. It's whether God graces himself with us. And we know actually he does because the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. If we would just turn around and follow after him. And you know what this means? It means the presence of God is open to all of us. You don't need a theology degree. 
You don't need a flawless background. You don't need to have all your uh, I's dotted and T's crossed. We don't have to even dress in a certain way. We don't have to do fancy things with a tabernacle and rituals. We can just come to Jesus. And he's there. And he's with us. And we have access to that. All of us. If we would put our trust in Jesus. And the response for us today and the response for 2016 should be worship. And that's not just our singing, but it's all of our life. That we would devote ourselves to him. And in that, we spend time in his presence. We have to be a people that take the time to pursue the things of God. Be a a people that take the time to pursue being in his presence. To say, God, I want you more than I want this. To want to see him transform lives, including our own. We have to be a people this year that worship him more, that sing more, that shout more, that love him more, that spend more time with him, that trust him more, that enter into his presence more than we have done before. And when we do, we will see him do amazing things, both in and through us. And set aside moments like Sundays are important. That's part of it. We come together as a family to do just that to worship him, to be in his presence. But also, it's in the rest of our life. When we're at work or we're going to work, or we're at home when we're an immediate family, how do we enter into the presence of God? How can we as a family spend time with him? How can we pray together? How can we read together? How can we wait on God together? How can we ask God for his presence? Do we do that? That's what we've got to do in 2016. Say, God, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. I want more of you in my life. That's why it's important that whether we are right now on a mountaintop experience or we are in a valley, we can know, and not just know it, but feel it, experience it with all of our being that God is with us. Because the word became flesh and made his dwelling or tabernacled amongst us. I mean, just by a show of hands, who needs to know the presence of God this morning? Everybody. We want to know the presence of God. We want to meet with him. We want to spend time with him. And we have that reminder at the end of Matthew's gospel that in our Matthew series we'll get to in 2020 or 2025 probably at this rate that says, I am with you even to the end of the age. Whatever takes place, I am with you. Whatever 2016 holds, the first thing we need to remember is that God is with us. 